good morning, Wawasi Bible family, kids. Must say, in addition to everything that's been said, we, we really have a rock star group of photographers and drones, and I think Josh putting together that video. They're like professional. This is awesome. I just have to say that when we were eating lunch last week, there's, I've, in my two and a half years here, I don't think I've ever sensed such joy in our church family as there was that, that, that Sunday when we gathered for uh, our meal afterwards. It's just a great day, and we've talked a lot about that all week long. It's been fantastic. So, who is the best loser in your circle of friends or family? I mean, who's best at losing things? Like, I can't find that. Where did I put that? I know it was just here. Yes, you can point. If they're here in your circle of friends, just point them. I mean, we're not shaming them. We're honoring them. Because the best losers who always lose stuff, what do they do? They reveal those who have that special skill of finding things. Unless you have those special losers who excel at losing things, you can't you know, bring to the surface those who excel at finding things. So who is the best finder in your circle of friends or family? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of the backup. I'm, pr- I'm a pretty good backup, but my wife is, she's the all-star, first string finder. So, uh, you know, there's that moment where you're, you're panicked and you, you can't find it and you're thinking just the world's come to an end or you're very upset. Then there's that moment, you know, when you find it where, we're like, okay. So when my dad passed away, I was given the task of going through his papers and you know, my dad, old school, before the time of electronics, and so it was a, a voluminous amount of paper in manila folders. And by the time, I had, a, I had a checklist of all those important documents I needed to find and, and I was going through and checking them off, and when I got done, I had two large black trash bags of all my dad's unnecessary papers over, over the years that he had accumulated and kept. And the one document I was missing was the deed to my parents' house. And looking at these trash bags and like, oh, what a headache. Among all the grief and the sorrow and the details, like I've gotta go back and, So the next day, I went to my dad's study, took those two trash bags, it was the most bare, and dumped them out. I had literally a small mountain of paper, crumpled and flat. And so I started going through and just had this anxiety weighing on my mind, like, oh, all the things I'm dealing with, I gotta try to find the deed to my mom and dad's house. And I'm getting to the bottom, and just, uh, there's just, it's, it's, I'm putting all the, the paper back in the trash bags when I found the deed to my parents. And just the incredible relief and just the joy that I could go announce to my mother and just to my wife just that I got the deed and just put all the trash back. Just that joy of like one moment, anxiety, wait, and the next moment, whew, relief, cross that off. Perhaps enshrined in my hall of fame finding things was uh, more recently, you know, 
senior year, I think it was my oldest daughter, strong-willed, and I'm strong-willed, wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. It was just about every other day, dad, oldest daughter, battle. I mean, ugly. Terrible to remember. Fortunately, she's, my approval rating is sky high with her now, but you know, historic lows for dad approval rating at this time in our relationship. So one day, it was after church, she had, she had lost something, and she comes down in tears, hysteria, anger, pain. Somehow I think it was my fault that she had lost this paper or, or notebook, and the world coming to an end. And my wife and I look at each other, Chris's head just sinks just, just a little bit, She's usually the finer, said, I got this one. And so we go up, we walk up the, march up the stairs and go into her room and she throws herself on her bed, assumes the fetal position, just kind of crying. And I walk in, you know, as much as a clean room matters to me as a dad, I had let her room become atrocious because it was just a battle that there were more important battles to fight, and I needed to save my ammunition, because, you know, as, as parents, you only have so much ammunition. So anyway, her, her, her room was a pit, and so I'd gotten the habit of, I walked into a room, and I just started kicking stuff. And so I walk into a room, and it's like a 50-yard field goal, send stuff flying, nothing. Soccer, strike, nothing. I'm getting close to her bed, so it was kind of a, a chip shot field goal, sent some stuff, and there it was, right near her bed, under her stuff. I point to it, I say, there it is. She stopped crying, rolled over, looked at it, grabbed it, went to her desk and started working. I did not expect the slightest sign of gratitude, nor did I receive the slightest sign of gratitude. But in my heart, I was so satisfied. <laughs> like, what a victory. We both know as I walk out that dad saved you. Yes, your father saved you. So it was pretty funny. And I always think of that like, yes, that was a great find. Not that I was worried, but I saved the day for her. This morning, I want to talk about that Jesus is our find. We can hear something over and over again, but there's a difference between hearing something and knowing something. And that coming to Christ, it's like, oh, now I understand. Continuing to grow in Christ, you may hear the same thing, you may read the same Bible passage a hundred times, a thousand times, but there's a moment and moments where, oh, there it is, that moment of anxiety, of crushing sin, of crushing burden, of, oh, now I know, Jesus saves, Jesus is the truth, Jesus gives life, Jesus is the answer. So we are beginning today a series on parables, which I think is very appropriate for this time uh, in the life of our country, in our community, uh, for recent events. So parables, What's a parable? A parable is a short story with two levels of meaning. It's not a straight up teaching, do this, do that. It's a story. It's meant for you to remember, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult. It's a story to help you think and to figure it out. 
Some scholars say every parable has just one meaning. Other scholars say, no, I mean, there, there could be two or three meanings. But what we know for sure is that Jesus didn't say that parables only have one meaning or two or three meanings. So it's open. But Jesus gives parables up to one third of his actual teaching is parables to make us think, to help us remember, and to let it wrestle and sit and simmer in our hearts to try to figure out and to learn and to grow. Parables are more than just stories to enjoy, but to make us think, analyze, and hopefully see. When you're looking at a parable, pay close attention to the ending. Now, you know those movies or shows where there's a twist, a surprise ending. That's what a parable is always supposed to be. Now, if you're familiar, if you've read the Bible a lot, if you've read the parables a lot, it may have lost some of its shockness, some of its twistiness. Take, for example, the uh, Jesus leaving, how many sheep did he leave to go look for how many? He left 99 to leave for one. And like say, oh yeah, that. How many people, how many of us would leave 99% of your inventory to go look for 1%? Of your, would you risk 99% of your life savings to go look for 1%? If you had $99 and there's one missing dollar bill, what would you think of the person that left that 99 $1 bills to go look for the $1 bill and like the wind or someone might grab it? That's kind of crazy. That's foolish. And so, so many of these parables they had shock, like people don't see it coming. They remember those parables because you'd leave 99 sheep? Really? Really? You'd risk 99 to go look for one? So you always pay attention to the ending of a parable. You look about what question is Jesus making you think? Sometimes it's asked, Remember, what, what was the question that Jesus responded to in the Good Samaritan, if you know your Bible? Remember, the lawyer says, like, who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't respond necessarily with a teaching. He just says, gives a parable about the Good Samaritan, which has also had just a strange ending that would have been shocking to them. So today, we're gonna look at Matthew 13, which says this. The kingdom of heaven it's like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Kingdom of heaven is like man going through the fields around here and stumbling across and just, you know, there's a for sale sign in one of our local fields and, oh, just gonna take a look and he's go kicking some rocks and the fields around here have been just tilled up and suddenly stumbles, there's a, a valuable gem. There's a precious piece of, of gold, let's say, in one of these fields around here. And then who, who's selling it? Who's the, who's the real estate agent? Calling them up, trying to contain their excitement. Like, I alone know that that field is way underpriced. Putting in a bid. 
in that breathless excitement, like, I, I hope no one else finds it. I hope I didn't give it away that I, I'm super excited and, and I can't sleep until I hear back that my offer's been accepted. Yes, it's been accepted. And so today, to make you and I think, it's like Jesus is that field. Jesus is that pressure. He, he's that treasure, I mean. He's the treasure. He's the greatest treasure. And there's that tension until we have him, until we know him, until Jesus is ours, fully ours, he's the continual discovery. We found him, I found Christ. So our hope today is that we, we all just know that Christ is our greatest treasure to be discovered over and over, that we sell to buy. Let's pray. Lord, just open our hearts to embrace your parable that you are the treasure. Help us to find you, to continue to find you. Help us to discover you, to continue to discover you, that you are enough for whatever we're facing today, that you are more than enough, that yes, we can trust in you, that yes, we are safe and secure, that yes, that you are our home, that yes, you satisfy, that you quench, that you meet us today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven. Let's start there. The kingdom of heaven is treasure hidden in a field, verse four, uh, go, again, the kingdom of heaven, going on to talk about the pearl. What is this kingdom of heaven? In the, the book of Mark or Luke, you might look at, it's called the kingdom of God, same thing, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. First of all, you need to know this is talking about a government, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, the Jesus Christ administration, Prime Minister Jesus, President Jesus, that it is a government, that when Jesus, when he was on trial before Pilate, he said that if he wanted to, he could call legions of what? Legions of angels, and he wasn't talking facetiously, that every ruler has at his or her disposal a military, a force, and that Jesus literally could have said, forget this, I'm not going to the cross, you're all gonna be lost in your sins and I'm just gonna call my army down and we're gonna, we're gonna set up my kingdom that way. That Jesus will be administering a, God, he will be ruling. In the same way you might think of another nation, uh, Russia, France, United States, that he is a ruler, a kingdom coming to set, as opposed to the kingdom of Satan, as opposed to uh, the United Nations and whatever authority they have, that Jesus is coming, that the kingdom is a government, and it will be established and reigning over all. He's king of kings, president of presidents, prime minister of, of prime ministers. The kingdom began with Christmas Eve, the night that he was born, that the Son of God took on human flesh. 
the kingdom began with his ministry, with raising from the dead, casting out demons, pushing back against the kingdom of darkness, healing people, his teaching, his atoning death on the cross, the kingdom of heaven breaking in, pushing back the darkness, making the way for you and I to be saved, to be born again, to be washed, the power of sin and death broken with his triumphant rising from the dead. He broke the power of sin and death. He took away the fear and the power of death. When a person is saved, when you are born again, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. When a marriage is saved, when people repent, when people move toward Jesus, the kingdom is advancing. When a person is lost or suicidal or in despair or in the grip of depression, when they find life and hope in Christ, the kingdom of God is advancing and shining. Last week on Sunday morning, as we're in various places throughout our community, doing good works for Jesus for free, all those hours that whenever churches put into those hours of free community service and kids clubs and in ministries and small groups, that's the kingdom of God advancing. You telling your neighbor about Jesus or doing a good deed in your neighborhood, that's the kingdom of God advancing. When people are, are cussing and swearing at work or telling the latest dirty joke and you talk about the goodness of God or what you've learned in your Bible in, that, in, that, in your workplace, you're, that's the kingdom of God advancing and shining forth. And ultimately, you could talk about the, the Christ coming back or sending the Holy Spirit, Pentecost as a mile marker in, the, in the, the kingdom of God, and ultimately the return of Christ, the, the visible return of Christ, and establishing his kingdom. And all these things of the past two weeks and two years and the history of the world, and him setting up his government, it's gonna be amazing joy. The per, no more Uvalde or Buffalo or all these, these shootings that are becoming so commonplace. It is a kingdom, and one day we will see it. And so when you, you, if you pray that, that prayer, Father, your kingdom come, your what be done, your will be done, you're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let righteousness shine forth. Let goodness and not evil triumph. For you to take your place in the kingdom means that I, I'm joining. The kingdom is where, where sin is punished where righteousness is rewarded. No more death, no more sin, no more pain, no more crying, no more school shootings, no more George Floyd, no more child abuse, no more hunger, no more poverty, no more injustice. It's something that every day we're moving closer to it. We say, yes, your kingdom come, your will be done. Baptism is the citizenship ceremony of the kingdom of God. Just like you have a citizenship class to become an American citizen, baptism is the mark of I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is that ceremony where we, 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 we renew our pledge that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. 
I pledge my allegiance anew. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I, I enjoy all the rights, the forgiveness, the family, the adoption, the peace, the joy, the hope, the meaning in, in life of a citizen of heaven, as well as the commitment of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven to speak the truth, to stand for truth, to speak of the goodness of God, to proclaim the forgiveness and the joy and the peace that's found. I, 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 I will adhere to my rights and my commitments when I take communion as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So there's the kingdom. Let's go on again in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Verse 46, one pearl, it's a pearl of great value. The kingdom is God's kingdom, God's government, it's his presence, it's him himself. Jesus is your greatest treasure. Jesus is the most important, he's the most valuable thing you have. He's, he's what you will take with you. Everything, any other treasure that you may enjoy here on earth, you can't take with you. Whatever thing that you value, that you love, that you enjoy, you can't take it with you. Jesus is your treasure now, tomorrow, forever, 10,000 years from now. How is Jesus your greatest treasure? He is your forgiveness. He is, you are adopted. You have a real meaning in life. The things that you do in Jesus, they count for all eternity. You are called to fight in the war between good and evil. You can have peace, joy, new life, hope, whatever your circumstances. Jesus is your greatest treasure. You have nothing else more valuable, more priceless than Jesus Christ in your heart. You belong to the great king. Jesus is your greatest treasure. You can be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the greatest treasure which you must personally discover. That Jesus is a discovery, not a set of rules. Now some of this you may know, but what type of situation did Jesus find himself in 2,000 years ago? What was that, that group of people of religious leaders? And kids, you may know this. It begins with a letter P, though it doesn't necessarily sound like a P, but the Pharisees were that group. And the Pharisees talked about the kingdom of God. And when they talked about the kingdom of God, they said, if you do one, two, three, follow the rules, point one, A, dot, 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 you do all these rules, you do all these things, that's the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom is something that you find, that you discover. Like I'm collecting license plates and I'm almost to 50 states. I'm at a little antique shop in Idaho and it's snowing outside. I'm flipping through these license plates and I discover Hawaii, you gotta be kidding me. Hawaii is one of the three or four license plates that I'm getting close to all 50 states and it's snowing outside in Idaho and the kingdom of God is a discovery like that. 
It's like, I didn't expect that. Here it is. Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's not just a bunch of rules. It's something you find and discover like, that's, it's a discovery. This is who God is. I've heard about God, but this is who he truly is. That Jesus, the kingdom is something to come to know, not a set of rules to do. It's a discovery. The kingdom of heaven, back to verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. If you've been a Christian for a long time, remember this, that Jesus is a discovery and that it's never over. It's never over for all eternity. You think, yeah, yeah, I know about his grace. Josh preaches about his grace every single week. But yet, his grace, you'll never touch the bottom of it. It's to be discovered. And all our, circ- all our new circumstances that we face in life, that no, his grace is discovered over and over again. His power is discovered over and over again in new ways. You will never know the limits of his awesome power. We'll never know the limits of his awesome love. The Christian life is one discovery after another. And so the encouragement for us, whether you're just thinking about, you don't know Jesus as your savior, you've not had that aha moment, maybe today's today, or you've been a Christian for 50 years, but that it's always a discovery. I remember for my own self, just the Bible, it was just a bunch of rules. It was a bunch of like a a rule book until, ah, Christianity really is a relationship with God. And then the Bible was like burning right through me. It was this, this living book. It was like I'd never read it before. And every morning I was getting up like, I, I, gotta, I gotta read my Bible. Not because I, I had to or someone was telling me, you better do this to be a good Christian, but because whew, I was getting life from this book. It was feeding my heart, making my mind come alive. Acts 17, verses 26 to 27 say this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. And just these foundational verses just say that you and I and every single person No one's an accident. No life is random. No life, no human being is incidental or accidental. That everyone is placed exactly in their specific geography, in their specific historical time period. No one's by accident. Everyone's on purpose. And that we've all been designed to seek for him. That there's something really good and healthy in your heart to seek just like it's really good for you if you want to get in shape to exercise, that there's something good in your heart to be a searcher. It's not that, okay, I said the sinner's prayer and now I'm done, did it. Now I gotta, I guess I gotta go to church. I gotta, I guess I gotta read my Bible. No, it's, it's part of the search. It's part of the discovery. I read my Bible to discover. I come to church to discover 
The search is never over. There's mile markers where, yes, I discover the deep well, the treasure of Christ, but I keep pressing on to discover more about him. Revival, um, Richard Lovelace, uh, he's a, a great Christian scholar. He's written a lot about revival. When he talks about revival, he, he's found two things, whether it's in, it's in the book of Acts or in everyone that's happened, these, these times in history where God moves. And two things, whether it's the individual you or in whole communities, that there's suddenly a aha a new, deeper, sudden awareness of sin. Like we go from thinking like, yeah, my life is, other people are sinners and other people are really bad, but I'm a pretty good person to suddenly saying, I can't believe I've discovered, I can't believe how selfish I was. I can't believe how unforgiving I was. I can't believe how judgmental I was or complaining that in every revival, we stop looking at other people and we suddenly have an awareness of that, oh, God is so, whole, he's so much holier, greater, kind, patient than I ever imagined that Jesus was or the Father. I had no idea. I thought I knew that God was good, but now I more deeply understand how God is so merciful, so faithful, now I more deeply understand how I was wrong, how sinful that I have, I have areas to grow in and that I rush toward God. I have a, a new sense of gratitude of how far he stooped down to love me and to cleanse me and to wash me. God is good. Hearing something doesn't necessarily mean that we really know it. We can hear things over and over and then, then one day we, we get it. The Bible says, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We are encouraged. The promise is that if we seek him with all our heart, he's gonna find, we're gonna find him. There's no time limit. There's no uh, quantity of how much. It's gonna look different in all our lives. But the promise is sure that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him. Matthew 7, 7. Why did Jesus say this? Uh, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The, the quest, the adventure of our faith the need for prayer, that you, whatever your relationship with, with Jesus today, that you are called, that it's on me, it's on you to ask, to seek, to knock, that our life with Christ is a discovery. It's a treasure hidden in a field that we look for and we covet, we want, we're passionate about, we're, we have a healthy possessiveness about. Jesus is the pearl of great price that We'll sell it all. We, we discover the Christian life is an adventure. It's not a, it's not a have to. It's we've discovered something that's exciting, that's passionate, that grabs us. It highlights the importance of prayer because we never, we never know when God supernaturally 
is gonna suddenly open our minds to understand him in a new way. And it has to come through you asking, seeking, knocking. The Christian life is not a, a series of doings of I said that prayer, I started going to church, I got baptized. It's not a checklist, it's a bunch of discoveries and everyone's got our, our own different timetables of when it, it just suddenly, like, wow, now I, now I know. I've heard it so many times, but now I, I truly know in a much deeper way. The kingdom of heaven is not a set of rules, but a treasure to be discovered. And when you find Jesus, you sell all so you can buy Jesus, making you sell to buy with Jesus. Let's look at verse 44 again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I love it. It's a story. It's the image of a buyer waiting to see if his offer, will it be accepted? Will that land purchase? Will that house? Will my vehicle, will it be accepted? I hope so. I'm trying to play it cool. I put my bid in and just hoping I get it. I hope it's accepted. And that's the example here. And again, in verse 45, bring that up. It says, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and bought it. You and I, we, we know all that language. Selling, buying, sold, bought it. It's there for a reason. When we have those aha, aha moments of discovering in deeper ways that Jesus is treasure, he's worth all, everything we sell. We let go of one thing so we can grab onto him more dearly. When I came alive to Christ my freshman year at college, when I discovered that Christ is this amazing relationship, you know, things change when we discover. Now, I regret to say my wife and kids will laugh about it. When I, so when I came to college, I was far from home and I met a young lady who she was far from home and we developed this very clingy freshman, boyfriend, girlfriend relationship and so on. And it's really embarrassing to look back on now. And I was also very much into appearances and going to the weight room. But when I found Christ, I just had to jump into ministry and then my our clingy relationship. And she's like, why are you going to Southern Wells High School to talk about Jesus? And, and can't we spend more time together? And I wasn't at the gym as much and eventually broke up with her because things change. Priorities change. Our, our val the mark of Christ when he comes into our lives is that the way we spend our time changes. The way we spend our money changes. Our emotions change. That we know that Christ comes into us when we make those discoveries because things change. We don't just say some words in a prayer and just remain unchanged. 
that we get excited, that we sell things, so to speak. Metaphorically, we, we sell, we let go of things, we give up things to grab onto other things. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus that we sell to buy, Jesus. Philippians, if you wanna turn there, Philippians chapter three, verse seven. Paul is reflecting on when he had that discovery of Christ, when he was such a man of the world, esteemed, uh, looked up to, had everything, but he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, everything that was valuable to me in my previous life before I discovered Jesus because of the surpassing worth, the value, the treasure, the pearl of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, if you want to turn to Hebrews 11 and verse 25, or just jot it down, says this, speaking of Moses, that Moses had it all. He was part of the empire of Egypt, but he says, when he discovered Christ in the burning bush and the value of the the kingdom of heaven, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses regarded disgrace suffering for the, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures, the temporary earthly treasures of Egypt because Moses was looking ahead to the kingdom. He was looking ahead to his reward. Matthew 4, just a few chapters back, verses 19 and 20, and this happened over and over again when Jesus came along to people. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The mark of knowing Jesus in our lives is that things get changed. We, we let go of certain things to grab on to other things. We sell to buy. When we first come to Christ, and it's a continual process, that's part of the journey, the adventure, the joy, that we discover new pleasures, new treasures, new joys in Christ, that the, the process of, and, and ultimately it ends in death, right? Ultimately in death, whether you like, you let go at that moment of your last breath to grab onto Jesus forever and secure. Let me ask you this question. What's the, what's the difference between buying something and renting something? What's the difference between buying something and just borrowing something? It's ownership. You buy to own. And so the point here is uncovering that treasure, giving up all, because we want to own, you want to own Jesus. That we're not coming to church We're not borrowing Jesus. We're not renting him. That the message is that Jesus, you are my Jesus. You are my treasure. You are my king.
You are my pearl. You're my highest treasure on earth. Be a seller to be a buyer. Enjoy. The last part of Matthew 13, 44. Then in his joy, then in his joy, say those words, in his joy. Do not think for a moment that it's to be in his resolve, in his determination, out of his duty, dute. No, in his joy, with joy, we sell to buy for Jesus. In our joy, with joy, with a smile, with gladness, we let go of something to grab on to Jesus tighter. In joy, we give up certain things in order to, with joy, grab on to Christ more tightly. Wrapping up, let's just read these verses again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Read that verse several times uh, this week and uh, as we go through this summer series on parables, just let them, let these parables just simmer and, and percolate just in, in your mind, in your heart each week um, as Josh leads us and as we have uh, various pastors speak. It just, it's gonna be a great summer in the parables. Three applications uh, this morning just to take away. Embrace the kingdom be a citizen. Embrace the kingdom. The kingdom of God demands a response. It's a government here and now. It's a coming administration. The Jesus administration is coming to earth one day. It's coming now as we turn toward Christ. You have to be for or against. There's no middle ground. You vote for or you vote against. There's no middle ground. Be, join the kingdom. Come to the kingdom. Discover the kingdom. Fight for the kingdom. Fight for truth. Fight for righteousness. Fight for forgiveness. Fight for peace. Tell of Jesus. Embrace the kingdom with all the benefits of the kingdom, the rights of the kingdom the responsibilities of the kingdom, the commitment to the kingdom, revel in the fact that you pledge allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and it's gonna last forever. Number two, make fresh discoveries. If your faith is dry, if it's stale, ask, seek, knock, pray. You were, God created you to be a seeker, to be a discoverer. If, if you're a new Christian, if you're an old Christian, 
The Christian life is for you to be discovered, to continue discovering. I'm still discovering. Pastor Josh is still discovering. We're, we're, we're all, it's always a matter of making discoveries of adventure. Ask, of, you'll never discover fully God's love, God's grace. You, the Bible, you'll never fully discover. You can read the same passage a thousand times and it can speak to you in new ways. It can comfort you. It can strengthen you in new ways. You, you say, I don't even know how to look for God. I don't even know what to do to find God, maybe you think. Come forward for prayer. Pray something like, Jesus, if you're real, let me find you. Jesus, help me find you. God, I want to discover you. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You just talk to God. God, I want to discover you. Show me you're real. Show me you can help me through this situation. Number three, sell to buy. Sell to buy. Part of the Christian life is always selling to buy. Letting go, giving up to grab on to God. When was the last time you sold something, perhaps even literally, or you threw something away so you could grab onto Christ more closely? When was the last time that you, you gave something up in order that you might hold on to Jesus more closely? That's part of the Christian life. There's no delineation on, on how much or, or when. God works in unique ways for each one of us. But the principle holds for all of us that there always have, have to be times of letting go of one thing in order to grab onto him more tightly.